0: We have good mics. We, these are proven mics
1: mm-hmm.
0: in an unproven location mm-hmm. that is our permanent residence.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world, professional 3D printing experience <laughs> to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineer's own, Tyler Reed and Tate Brown.
0: You know what's great about this? What's that? There is nothing in the way between you and me. That's true. We've always had a desk. We've always had these funny foam things separating us. Yeah. Now we're here. It's a new room. I actually like these chairs a lot. These were a (laughs)
1: last second find in the office. And they're comfy.
0: They have wheels. It's got this little... What would you call this? Like, uh, it's almost like a little desk that you'd find in like an airport that just kind of swings out over your lap. Yeah. Like a TV dinner, TV stand. Yeah. TV, TV stand. TV dinner. <laughs> Reminds me of Matilda.
1: But you're right. We've always had this object between us, and now we are completely face to face. And I don't know if oh, I
0: feel don't, completely don't say comfortable. Don't I feel a little exposed. It's vulnerable. <laughs> this is good. This is a new step in our relationship.
1: <laughs> Oh, but uh, if this audio is echoey, I'm sorry.
0: We're using our standard equipment, so we are back to our normal equipment, but we are in a new
1: room, and it is completely empty.
0: (laughs) We have some makeshift sound deadening, but yeah, we're in the new location, and it has a ceiling now. It feels like a room. It looks like a room. What do you mean it has a ceiling now? Well, I mean, it didn't. (laughs) It makes it it sound like we've been recording outside well the last place had a drywall ceiling right um did it i think so no there's was it roof tiles yeah this one has a
1: ceiling that's much farther away
0: well long story short this area is still a work in progress yeah right it is but we're here we are here
1: we're in the new building we have a new lab that is also a work in progress
0: can you tell us more about what's happening in there Oh, well,
1: things are happening. <laughs> we we kind of stage the machines, but there's an issue with the flooring, so we have to get the flooring redone. And
0: I don't know. And we know there's going to be more issues with the flooring yeah, in the future, but there's nothing we can do about it. Flooring is tough. Everyone wants epoxy,
1: but I'm not a huge fan of epoxy. Just I'm a general. fan of epoxy that works. It's just hard to find one that works. Like, I don't know, there's probably people listening who have put epoxy in their garage. And like you, the
0: kind you buy from the auto parts
1: store? If you did any of that, if you did a single part epoxy, I'm sorry, because it's probably ruined. It's and just even, paint. Even a, yeah, that is paint. But even a low cost two part urethane epoxy
0: doesn't hold up. You need that industrial stuff. You really do. And you need pros to do your install. You need both of those. I've yeah. watched plenty of YouTube videos. That, by the way, I'll throw a little tease for the end of our show. We got a new little segment <laughs> uh, yeah. later that has to do with YouTube. I'm excited stay tuned for, it. for that. Yep. Um, but I've watched plenty of YouTube videos of people redoing their floors, and it's always like, oh, I tried to do this first on my own. Yeah. And now I'm going to do a time lapse of the pros coming in and doing it the right way. And it seems like if you're a homeowner
1: and you're doing it yourself, it doesn't really matter how well you do it. You could put down your muriatic acid to etch. You could come in with a grinder to grind it, but you lay it down and it comes up. It starts to bubble. It starts to peel. And then as soon as the epoxy starts to fail, then it just grows. Yeah. I'm a big fan of polished, polished concrete. Same. Especially for a lab setting.
0: Which apparently we couldn't do.
1: Apparently the concrete was in too poor of shape.
0: Which is real. That makes a tough sense. break for us. Yeah. Our first real tough break. I know. Since moving in, I
1: feel like it's just uh, whining at this point. But, you know, that's I, all I've been doing since I
0: moved I, in here.
1: That's true. Hey, we have a new crate in the lab, right? It
0: says exact metal on the side. It's a, hey, by the way, the packaging on exact metal, the best I've seen. Yeah. It, it's the best. It's legit. They put a tamper proof or, um, what an abuse yeah. indicator on the side. I'm sure that's pretty common in the industry, but probably I haven't seen a ton of those stratasys has them. And I assume most places have them now. They're the
1: little indicators where the ball is in the plastic. And if so, if it tips a certain amount, it falls into the little divot
0: and turns red.
1: Yeah. And you know immediately not to accept the package. Exactly. But so, what are you going to do? I mean, I, I kind of think that most people would still just accept it.
0: Well, we, we I mean, even though our indicator indicated that it's, it was not abused. Yeah. We still accepted ours and we, we still haven't un, uncreated yet. Nope. So they're just sitting in the box waiting for our flooring, which will be Pretty done much. this weekend. Pretty much. Yep. And then we'll be plugging stuff in. Yes, the F three seventy is functional. It's up and running. We've got our office friendly printers going. Yep, the J fifty five and the F three seventy are
1: both in the lobby, running.
0: Yep, which is nice. Um,
1: I I like that they're in the lobby because it signals just how. I mean that's that's a great spot to put them right in, in your office on carpet. Doesn't matter. Um, we've got the Tormach kind of halfway torn down. That wasn't too bad to move. We ended up using car skates.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't talk about the tour mock Why? on air. Why? I don't want to talk about why. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I'm such a hater. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm sorry, everyone. You're just, if you're really curious, you're just going to have to email me. <laughs> and I'm not going to put it in writing either. So <clears throat> you might just be out of you're gonna luck have to on jump. this one let's just put it this way Tyler got a little western with (laughs) with the machine and packing it up and getting it out of there and it's here it's ready to go it works yeah can we should talk a little bit about how
1: anxiety ridden I was the day we moved because you guys
0: don't like to use straps and it's not that it's not that we don't like to it's just there are a few people, maybe two people at Go Engineer that had forklift experience and have been around um heavy yeah. machinery, and it was pretty much me and Kimball, yeah, I think Josh had two, and i I'm not saying you haven't been around heavy machinery, but like on a day to day sure situation, and so your comfortability level tends to go up and maybe to a fault of like, yeah, that's gonna that load's gonna haul, you know. And Tyler's over there just like, he I, wants to strap everything down dude, to the forks. You and, have to remember, <laughs> I, have, I have a machine in my garage that's 9,000 pounds. Right.
1: I have another machine that's almost 4,000 pounds. I move that stuff by myself. I know how to move stuff, but I, I do again, not. Again, I didn't want to take anything away from you. I don't like things teetering. Nothing teetered.
0: It did The forks teeter. were as wide as they could go. <laughs> Anyway, it everybody, <laughs> listen here. We got it all over. True in a in a single day, and not one incident other than Tyler being a little sketchmeister that we won't talk about. But <laughs> he's
1: his. Did I ever tell you the story about when I was riding in the back of a Land Cruiser in Dubai? No. And we're going up and down the dunes, and I'm screaming like a little girl because I thought for sure the thing was going to tip. There's just something about when things... When 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 you don't
0: have control, you didn't have the steering wheel. (laughs) That was what
1: it was. And you start to feel that center of gravity move, or even you just sense it moving. I can't handle it. I panic. All of my physics education, engineering education, goes out the window, and I just panic. So that's it.
0: Needless to say, Tyler didn't watch us move a few of the items because he I knew, literally looked away. Yeah. He knew that we were just gonna <laughs> take care of it, how we were gonna take care of yeah. it. But it did. It was without incident. Everything was fine. And I don't want to be Yeah, we, we did a good job. I think as a whole team, our crew came together and we got it done. And that's one nice thing about the
1: printers, even though we have some of the largest printers you can get your hands on, you can move them
0: yourself. Yeah, if you don't I, especially if you don't have a lot of stairs. In the yeah. way, obviously, you need some tools. Once you have elevation change, you're going to need some tools. A ramp, though, two people could probably move most of these machines with, like, uh, w- what do they call those? A hand? A uh, pallet jack? A pallet jack. Yep.
1: There we go. That's how yep. most of our machines got in the building. Because we did have those two, two, two steps
0: and a sweet ramp. Homemade. Homemade. By Tyler Reed <laughs> it, it, it's a sturdy ramp they're well built are those still around uh yeah they the, I think probably the heaviest thing we took up
1: those ramps was the desktop metal furnace that was quite heavy made it up just fine yep
0: so we got everything out of there that's what's mm-hmm. new in our world yep we have all the machines here in the new location hopefully get everything hooked up and hopefully be printing metal
1: I should it, we said July
0: 20th it? July 20th July twentieth is our install. That's right. Yep, we have.
1: We'll scheduled. be printing the same day because installing that machine is essentially just plugging it in, uh, power, plugging in the argon, which we should have argon by then too. Twelve and, days from now. Yep.
0: Spectacular.
1: Yeah, argon. We're gonna get. It's like a two hundred and sixty liter cylinder. It's like it's a doer. But it's a taller, skinnier doer.
0: Nice. Yeah. Cool.
1: So we'll have to keep it running because those things vent continuously. And we talked about that in the last episode.
0: Yeah. Okay. So today's episode, (laughs) what we're going to talk about, uh, first of all, we need to apologize. We haven't been as regular on our recordings as usual. We are going to get back on track. Again, a lot of work went into getting us here. Yep. And... With travel and training and everything, things hopefully will settle down now that it's summer and we're getting settled in. But that being said, today's episode is about design for 3D printing. Ooh. Yes. This is a subject that has...
1: mm, It's been a tough one for me over the past 10 years. Why? And we can get into it. But it's just, it's mentioned so often. Everyone says, you got to design for 3D print. You got to design for print, design for additive.
0: But what does it mean? Yeah, now I see what you're saying. Should we tell the story about? Yeah, let's let's sh- start with that. Let's tell the story. Uh, so we actually tried to outline a course, a training course. And it was in partnership with some people at another company mm-hmm. and um it did not go well. And so this
1: was is within the last year. Yeah. What you may not be aware of is I have been asked to create a course like this year after year after year
0: by various people. Did you know that it was this big of a task before? There's or like did you dive into it and realize like, oh, DFAM is a big deal. I never even started a course. Cause I would always
1: tell people like you don't, it was usually people who wouldn't have been able to create the course themselves. Right. So they don't necessarily know what would go into the course of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know what
1: I mean? And I would explain like, this is a huge topic. It changes constantly. And I don't have the expertise to create a comprehensive course. I simply don't because we'll get into it, but every technology even every machine has different capabilities so you do have concepts that they're broad they're broad and they can be generalized and they are widely applicable but you can fit those on an infographic
0: yeah 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 you know i mean there's it's true and i think that's what people think when it's like, oh, put together a comprehensive course. A few slides here, there, and we're covered. Well, what we learned, at least myself, sounds like you kind of, have, <laughs> you had a better awareness. Um, but, you know, we probably had a four-person team. And it's difficult working with different companies, for one. I think everyone had different visions. So it was also an exercise in, like, leadership and um, teamwork. yeah. But if even if you put that aside, just everybody working and trying to create this outline, you start to realize this is a daunting task. And so now that we can we've established the scope of this work, we can't break it down in one episode. So what we're going to do today, we're going to kind of highlight the the things that make it difficult and move down the line into some of the major things. And that'll just hopefully crack open your thought process on what to be thinking about, um, whether you're trying to teach other engineers or yourself how to really start conceptualizing your designs because you know that it's going to be produced with an additive technology or you're trying to teach someone, kids, other engineers, doesn't matter. Like these are great things to to start thinking about, especially If you know, you're going to be getting an additive solution in house soon or Or, already have one or outsource parts. Oh, of
1: course. It's even more, that's a big deal, you know, because there are so many, um, outfits out there that are willing to print parts, but not all of them are going to be as proactive
0: as others about asking the technicians. Yeah, this is a great point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Cause I. Yeah, I have this little <laughs> outline. I'm like, of course. <laughs> yeah, if you're a service bureau and someone's just sending you parts, it's happened to me. Uh, someone sends you a part, and you can totally tell that it was designed for a two D CNC or a two and a half D CNC part. Yeah, or that it was designed for sheet metal. You're right. like, we gotta change this. We can make this better, but we 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 kind of have to in a lot of ways. And that's me being proactive, like you said, but not everyone's going to do that. They're just going to be like, okay, cool. Yeah. I got the STL, print it. Yep. They'll print it, maybe not even looking at it. And then it's not going to work or function as intended or maybe as well as intended. Maybe it doesn't print as fast. And so, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. So for starters, we talked, you've already kind of prepped us for this, but Number one thing is understand your limitations. So those limitations are going to be because of your the technology that you're using. So what additive technology, right? Mm-hmm. Your design for additive changes based on whether you're designing for FDM. It could even change with a different thermoplastic with FDM. Yep. But metal, we're learning more about that now and we'll continue to, but we'll try and speak to that. Um, and then now we have DLP type systems.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the issues based. that, that I would encounter it, especially early on is all my experience with printing was on filament machines or PolyJet machines. Those are the two easiest technologies to use. And those are two technologies that have like the least stringent. DFAM rules more or less. Um, and they are very distinctly different from each other and they're distinctly different from SLS, DLP, MJF, and then you get a whole variety of metal technologies and they're all different. Right. And like you said, it could be different per material. You could have the same technology, same material, a different machine, and it suddenly becomes different. And different machine, you mean like a, like a different system. So for okay. example like on a polyjet system um all of a sudden now you're talking about color well if you're designing for that system you have to teach people how to create color and that who knows there are 10 different types of software that you could use to create color and de- depending on who's printing it they might want different file formats and all sorts of stuff yeah. It's very complicated. In some ways, it makes me wish that we could just create a drawing and we send it out, and you're setting the expectation of what you want. And the person on the other end has to figure out how to do that. In printing, it's not that's not how it works. In printing, you send them what you want, and then they come back and tell you that's possible, that's not possible, what have you. But they're pretty much hamstrung because. You cannot really enhance the machine capabilities. In most cases, some technologies have the ability to fine tune parameters and things like that, but, uh, it's totally different paradigm. Requesting parts for quote, a machine part or a cast part versus an additive part, what you're telling the producer, what you want is different.
0: Right. So just understanding, number one, your technology. Yes. And that doesn't mean if, if you're sending it to a service bureau, that means you need to know what printer they plan to produce this on and what types of limitations. Yeah. And you may have to have a consultation, a 15, 20, 30 minute call with the technician and be proactive about that. Right. getting that meeting and talking about, Hey, how can I optimize this print or this part for that machine? Yeah. And that's a. I'm so glad you brought that up because so many people on this podcast, probably even if they have a ton of technology in house, everybody, almost everybody supplements from time to time with some third party sure. production. Sure. So the next thing, know your machine. So that kind of goes, obviously, in line with what we're saying. Lastly, know your software. So you're going to have limitations just based on software.
1: Your design software?
0: Your, yeah, your yeah. design and or slicing true. software. Like our software with the Stratasys machines, for example, can do things that other slicers can't.
1: That's true, too. So, f- you know, a great example of that is some of the high-end... Slicing software, like magics magics is sold with all sorts of different modules. And you also have different versions of magics out there. You have OEM versions that all have different capabilities. Someone who is using magics, like two people using magics may have different capabilities available to them. So some service bureau might have a, a cheaper version of magics that can't do angled supports. So their supports can only go straight down. Oh my gosh. And they might intersect with your part, which could affect surface finish in certain areas negatively. That would be hard to anticipate. And another person might have the version that has angled supports, so they can angle their supports away from your part and move down. So you could, like, I could foresee a scenario where you're ordering from a facility and you're getting parts, boom, 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 boom. And you ask, you have to change vendors, but you ask like, what machine are you using? What software are you using? We're using this, we're using this. And they come back and the parts are different. That could happen.
0: Absolutely. hundred percent. And so we, I do this. I'm guilty of this all the time. I operate my mind within the confines of what I know is possible through Grabcat print. Yeah. And if I need to take it to another level, then Insight. Mm -hmm. Right? So I'm always thinking, uh, yeah, we can do that. And this is going to be the work that I have to put in on the back end to make it slice and to produce the part. And knowing what your software is capable of is important as well. And that may have to be part of your discussion if you're sending out to third party as well. Like what capability do you have? And not only that, probably more importantly, what are you willing to do? Sure, do we need to make some billable time for you to optimize this?
1: A good example
0: of this is something
1: we had talked about before, and that was the production runs of the, the, oh, yeah. the stacked radius. parts, yeah. the stacked parts. Yep. And that was something where because of the throughput, it had to be done. And because of the throughput desired and because of the limitations in the slicer, the file that was supplied had to be pre-stacked.
0: Right. So knowing those things are incredibly important in creating your beginning to end solution. There's so much more than just printing a part. So even if you're only producing a single print for prototyping, it could pay dividends to produce it for additive. So if you're producing like an injection molded part, probably a bad idea to change the design too much. Yeah. If, if you're prototyping, then you don't want to change the design. A lot of people want to test a prototype part, but you have to know the limitations of just the produced material. It becomes a gray area because you probably
1: are changing some things. The material is very likely changed and you may need to change certain aspects of the part just to get it to print successfully. So you have to take that into account, but you want to change it pretty minimally. You wouldn't want to redesign a part significantly if it's meant to act as a surrogate for
0: an eventual molded part or whatever. So to review those things, the starting list is really understand your limitations, the limitations of your technology, machine, and software. Such, such a negative perspective. Limitations? Capabilities. <sighs> Okay, (laughs) I don't, I mean, the capabilities are never ending, but the limitations are what they are. There's a hard stop. That's why I know it's a negative outlook to you, but for me, it's like, this is where there are far fewer limitations than capabilities. It's a shorter list to remember. It's all right. You can be negative. That's fine. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm just giving you a hard time. It, It really is though. You, you have to know where the hard stops are yeah. on your equipment. And hopefully not yourself. Don't limit yourself. How's that for positivity?
1: <laughs> that was too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not, not very <laughs> organic. Okay. So now we're going to move into major considerations. Okay. I think the one that works with all the technologies is, but can you guess it? Support. Supports. That's probably a good one, but I was going to say orientation. Okay, yeah. Orientation seems to be the one that no matter what technology you use, it's going to have importance, whether it be this is going to reduce my print time, so this is going to produce the best part in the shortest amount of time, or this is going to produce strength in the direction I need it, or this is going to produce a part with the least amount of support which can also be part of the first one time. Yeah. But you're always <clears throat> thinking orientation, whether you're printing in metal, plastics, resins, yeah. you need to be thinking about that.
1: Orientation could be, like it, it will improve the part in some ways and it could negatively affect the part in some ways. Like you might get really bad suction coming out of a, a DLP or an SLS vat if it's oriented the wrong way. You might be susceptible to protrusions in a powder bed fusion system if it's oriented the wrong way. So certainly as you're designing it, you want to be picturing, how would this be oriented in the printer and be able to identify positive attributes. I want strength and also be able to identify and avoid negative attributes as well.
0: So let's talk. Probably the most common. Should we talk about FDM even? Everybody that listens to this podcast is probably pretty familiar. If you've listened this far, are you pretty familiar with FDM by this point? Like, probably. I trust that everyone out there has more tips I, and tricks yeah. and things. I bet if we did a poll, 90
1: plus percent of our listeners would be primarily FDM or FFF
0: users. I wish we had our Instagram. Up I know. and going. We are gonna do that. We have to do it soon. It's yeah, gotta happen. You should just do it today. We're gonna. I don't know about today. <laughs> Tomorrow. Let's talk to someone. Let's get. Let's uh, get uh Okay. You want to just do it and ask for permission later, or ask yeah. for forgiveness later? I've more or less already talked to someone. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can whoever that can someone do it. is. We have permission. <laughs> so we're going to start up an Instagram account and that then that way we can do these these little polls and stuff. Yeah. live action
1: and share some pictures and interact with people cuz I actually I want more interaction because no one will ever email me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I keep getting hit up. <laughs> Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Everybody hates to name it. It's fine. Well, that's not true, but okay, so orientation is something that you need That's probably in the DFAM Bible. If we ever do make it, it will be a Bible. It's going to be big. And that's going to be the thing that like trickles into every technology and support is a part of orientation. If you're asking someone to print a
1: part for you,
0: how often are you dictating orientation to them? How often am I telling them what way they should be printing it in? Yeah every time I mean usually someone just gives you a part I'm talking about you actually like when you have someone print a part for you oh every single time do you every time yeah I mean for me that again it's like part of the first rule of printing yeah like the first rule of fight club yeah it's like you just you have to know orientation and otherwise you just I mean like if I ask someone to print something for me and they I know that it could come in any different way. True. And so I'm giving a specific set of direction because one, then that person down the line doesn't have to make the decision for me. And two, I'm, I'm more, more than likely to get what I ask for and what I want.
1: And it's kind of broadly, you don't, you don't think about orientation as much in PolyJet. And there will be some cases where different technologies are not as um, orientation sensitive but they're probably less sensitive to most things, right? Orientation well, probably is the you know, most significant option, choice, decision.
0: It's going to have an effect on everything, yeah. regardless of technology. It's the, one, it's the one thing that doesn't care because every technology, whether they say it's support-free or not, has some support. Every technology has some support depending on geometry.
1: Yeah. Did I say SLS VAT earlier? I think I did. I meant SLA, but SLS, largely unsupported.
0: That's true. That's true. However, orientation still does matter. Yes. With SLS. Yes. So, and for different reasons. But again, this is why orientation matters. For the most part though, On those technologies where they're more isotropic um, prints, Mm -hmm. meaning the parts are pretty uniformly strong, Mm -hmm. you would think, you know, a a beginner is going to think, well, it doesn't matter then what orientation I print this in. However, then the next thing, the next big consideration is support. How is support going to affect my model? Yep. Yep and almost every technology that's a major consideration yeah because what are the things that are affected with support time big cost cost, aesthetics surface finish labor post-processing print you already said print time so those are those are probably the the major ones that's four things that are going those are the major time and money right that's big time and effort that's most of the Dfam rules
1: for filament machines are all, all revolve around reducing support. Would you agree with that?: Yeah, I would. That's probably true. maybe not. It's probably true. It feels true.
0: For now, it feels true till someone points out that we're totally wrong. <laughs> but right now in this space, our heads maybe aren't totally clear. It is the end of the day.
1: true. Uh so. Aesthetics is another area where orientation comes into play. You know, a lot of these powder bed technologies, they have the concept of up faces and down faces, and they'll have different expectations of surface finish, um, different angled surfaces have different surface finishes. Of course, we know it really well
0: in filament. Yep. Prince. Yeah. So. One thing you brought up earlier when we were kind of discussing major topics was feature size. Yeah. So tell me more about how that's going to affect your approach.
1: Um, Well, you're usually going to design features how, how they need to be designed, right? You might have some flexibility, but your features are probably driven by the purpose of the part. It may put you on a search for finding I should a, yeah <laughs> it may put you on a search for finding a technology, right like you might have a vendor that you like to work with, but they only have one technology. It might not be a good fit, so you may have to go search out you might have a part searching for a technology
0: so feature size is going to dictate perhaps you going out of house to yeah. get something done and
1: be aware that within technologies, there are sometimes machine manufacturers or um, OEMs that specifically make machines for microprinting and for large format printing. So we could broadly talk about DMLS and laser powder bed fusion, but whatever we broadly speak about the capabilities, it doesn't apply to a company who has developed a machine specifically for printing tiny, tiny parts. In powder bed fusion, or specifically for larger parts, so you're going to have to do some research.
0: So that's what this podcast is about—just telling people that they got to <laughs> do, do some your research, research. <laughs> do more research. That that should take us over to the YouTube. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, and the reality is, we this whole conversation—we already knew we weren't going to be able to cover everything in this episode, but or even a ton of episodes. But we're getting people thinking. About workflow, really. At the end of the day, we're just talking about if you kind of run it through this filter that we're essentially setting up for you, um, you're most likely going to come out with a better part or a better end result.
1: And This is sort of a complimentary discussion to one that we had on an earlier episode, right? Are you having a little bit of deja vu? About what? Didn't we talk about searching service bureaus and... A little bit about part requirements and I don't remember, probably, probably here's another thing though, kind of what, to my point, I was just talking about, uh, some technologies and some machine manufacturers are open and the operators have access to the parameters and they can change things and others can't. So if you know, or you become aware that. For example, someone's using a Stratasys machine and they tell you, this is what we can do. You can push them all the, all you want. That's not really gonna change,
0: right? This is a, yeah, this is a totally, this is a, a big time topic. But with that comes some reliability. Right.
1: So if you have like one off part, you could be fine. Go find someone who has the ability to fine tune and tweak print parameters.
0: Yeah. And it's not just reliability. It's consistency. So it's like McDonald's. It's like when I go to McDonald's hundreds of miles away from here, thousands even. Yeah. And I order a Big Mac. It tastes like a Big Mac. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of what you get with a Stratasys machine. However, There are power users out there that have cracked open these machines. We don't recommend it, of course. (laughs) But if you find one of those guys, a printing Einstein, some guy doing some crazy things with a J750 that he bought at a garage sale. Yeah. And he's done... I mean, there are people doing amazing things with these machines that we don't know about. That's true. We know that it's happening. We hear the rumors. We see some of the parts. But like, those are your your power users. If you need something crazy, you need to go outside of the box. Those are the guys Dude, you need to find. I I can just predict now we're gonna
1: get requests for a list of who are these power users. These- uh, They're
0: not our customers. <laughs> That's the reality. That's true. They're, they're not our customers. And, they and it's bot- not that we don't appreciate yeah. what they do. Sure. You need people like that, I think.
1: Yeah. Those totally. are
0: the people pushing the limits of what DFAM needs to be. They're, they're the people who make it really difficult for us to
1: put a course together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No, but all these, all these, these limitations, yeah, they limitations. shape what DFAM is. And so it would be easier to, to create a DFAM course per technology, right? Yes. But nowadays, and we've talked about this in past episodes, it seems <laughs> like there's a new one every day.
1: Sure. And so well, I mean, look at this. Let's let's create a, a DfAM course for uh laser powder bed fusion, DMLS metal. Okay. Well, what an EOS machine can do is different than what an SLM machine can do, which is different from a Renishaw, which is different from a Velo. They're all different. You can't
0: do it. And that's what makes this job so interesting and so difficult because it's like if we're talking CNC for example, even if we're talking my little desktop router, yeah. which by the way, I just got an upgraded Z stage for nice. ball screw. Nice. Um, no more belt drive on the Z, but that the principles that I learn with that machine or utilize are the same principles I used when I use a Tormach, are the same principles or similar to what people are using yeah. on a Haas.
1: And like I said, when someone asks you to create a part, they send you a drawing. And it's up to you to decide can I do this or can I not? And you have to strategize what tools am I going to sell as a
0: machinist. Yeah.
1: What are my cam strategies? Which makes me wonder like, why don't we why don't we actually start using a form of drawings? With like d- a standardized drawing for additive? I mean, maybe 3D drawings or 2D drawings, but a way to dictate this is what I need out of this part. And then let them decide if they can do it or not. We just uh, have I mean, never done I that's a great that.
0: idea. You just opened my mind. I mean, if I could send a drawing to someone, rather than right now, what we do is pass along STLs. Like that's yeah. the industry standard. Yeah. We here, because of our slicers, generally prefer native files. Native files, yeah. Because they're more usable and they f- usually have fewer errors. But like, if you sent me a drawing with an STL or native file, and it included information like color, yeah. filament, um, orientation, it would technology, everything. But we need maybe, an ASTM standard.
1: Seriously. Um I think I think we're working on that, but it will be a 3D drawing. It'll be like a like a SOLIDWORKS file. Yeah. With dimension And And those are becoming
0: more popular as I, it's
1: growing. It's a, it's a critical component to industry 4.0 initiatives. Um, well, should we talk about some of the quirky things that we've seen done? Interesting
0: things that we've seen. Yeah, I think so at this point we've covered basically we've we've helped hopefully set up some sort of filtration thought process we've said words we've said words and <laughs> if you put them in the right order we said something smart yeah i i hope so. probably not the order we delivered either i think one takeaway i would
1: say is if if you're doing things in house you know be prepared to experiment and find your limitations through trial and error um also Know and understand, like you have a lot of freedom by having the technology in-house to do a lot of exploration that's necessary. If you're going out of house and having parts done, send out more than one, more than two, probably more than three uh RFQs. And if you get a bunch of no's back, maybe keep searching if it's really critical. Cause or have a conversation. Why is this a no? Is there anything I can do? Would you recommend a different technology? Blah, blah blah blah. Well, and
0: that's what this whole episode is really about: is understanding. Create that open line of communication between you and your machine, between yeah. you and your your third party additive consultant, yeah. whoever it may be. Like understanding those things helps you create the part. Yeah. At the end of the day, so getting back to the tips and tricks, the funny things. The cool things we've seen what's what's your thing? my thing? yeah, um, I forgot. <laughs> I have one, okay, I have one right off the bat, so I, I I actually saw this not too long ago, and I just thought it was a cool thing. I never comment on stuff on LinkedIn, but it was so cool that I like had to yeah, had to say something, but it was this group of people that they were printing in FDM, and they were printing a set of fixtures. Or something to be used in-house. And they had to produce so many. But as we know, FDM is terrible at scale. Mm -hmm. But they figured out a way to reduce support. Remove support on an overhanging piece. How'd they do it? So they have... Imagine like a diving board or a shelf or something. They had a part that had a vertical structure. And then it jutted out. Okay, Straight out. Cantilevered. And typically you would need support, whether yeah. it was angled support straight up doesn't matter. So you the, would need to support that in some fashion. or
1: the traditional quote unquote defam suggestion would be to create a, like a 45 degree. Upward surface.
0: Yes. underneath something it, that would be right? self-supporting yeah. with the model material. In this particular instance, this needed a void. So it had to be a straight overhang. What they did is they, in their slicer inserted a pause at a certain layer height right before the layer, right before the cantilever. Mm -hmm. What they did is when it was paused, they brought in this, I don't know if it was a little piece of aluminum stock or something, but it was just the right height. They placed it in that area and then went back and hit go on the printer, the printer then. And of course, with their slicing software, they would have to have the capability to remove support yeah. because it's going to auto generate on an overhang like that. And so again, getting to know the limitations of your software, you would need the ability to remove support entirely, which is what they did. They removed the support, they hit play and this thing printed that overhang right on top of that piece of aluminum. What did that do for them? It removed a ton of time of the machine having to switch heads a two-head machine having to print back and forth from model to support. And secondly, their post-processing was pulling it off the bed and just hand-pulling that part out, the little aluminum piece. And it was finished. That's awesome. It was so cool. I loved it. That is cool. I have a couple thoughts on that. One, good
1: luck getting a service bureau to do that. Like You're never going to convince someone else to do that on their machine. To throw
0: a pause in there and insert. Why wouldn't they, though? They're not going to do it. Well, a a service bureau is not going to print one at a time either. Well, that's true. So there's
1: one reason why they wouldn't do it. Another reason why they wouldn't do it is that it's unreliable. It would, it would reduce some unreliability in the sense that you've never done that before. You're not accustomed to doing it and it risks, it could risk hurting your machine, like in ways, like even if it just jams it's all about stack up right
0: yeah if someone puts that in wrong it puts
1: it puts your machine at risk so a service bureau is going to be weary of doing that and just a company just in general is going to be
0: don't listen to them everybody don't listen anyway to them. another be uh, inventive get out I, there. And i do like it. it i like it but also i'm going to do that just so you know I'm gonna but it here try with ultim
1: no it won't work yeah it won't work. So any really high temperature material, as soon as you open up that door in rush of cold air, you're going to start to see warpage or even like, unless you preheated that aluminum block that could cause issues as well. So those are the sort of things where if you are doing stuff in house, awesome experiment. A few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, I saw a machine on the news that had a build tray that actually had like pneumatic elevators. So think about like our build trays have a grid, maybe one inch square sections. You're, they're, barely, they're mostly imperceptible, but imagine if those could raise and lower independently. Oh, yeah. So there was a machine that people
0: were selling that did that. Wow.
1: Little. Uh, so
0: it could just build support. At like a couple millimeters,
1: yeah. Essentially, yeah. It would exactly. raise
0: that up to the level it needed to be, and then it would just yeah. build a very, very tiny,
1: yeah. So imagine, structure. do you ever have one of those devices where no. it had all the pins in idea. it, and you'd like put your face yeah. against
0: it? <laughs> yeah. My what if face. you had a
1: build tray like that? You don't
0: want to put your face in those, dude. What if, if you had a build tray
1: hers. like that, and you were building on top of it? That'd be amazing. It'd be incredible. You could print a single print. How
0: would you control those little things?
1: Do this. Maybe this would work. If you had a single print that was the support structure and it was pushed up against those pins from underneath, mm. so it was raising those yeah. pins.
0: okay. And yep. then
1: you're just printing on top of it.
0: That'd yeah. be sweet. That would work.
1: All right, cool. It,
0: that's kind of it's almost like the EDM with the, the diodes or whatever that.
1: Oh, sinker, sinker EDM.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have the shape already. Yeah. In the electron. the negative. Yep. Yeah.
1: All right, cool. Um, so my cool thing is just designing fixturing into your part. So we've talked a lot about post print operations. Parts may be machined. They may be be blasted. They may be, painted, they may be powder coated, they could be heat treated, whatever. And especially if you're doing any of that stuff in bulk, you're probably going to be fixturing on later on. So there's a lot of potential there to design in sacrificial fixturing into your part so that it will benefit a step down the road.
0: Yeah. And that brings up something we didn't even talk about as part of the DFAM solution or Bible somewhere in there, it's going to say. Designed for post-processing as well. So not just support structures to minimize time and material, but also minimizing or controlling how the support connects to your part, depending on orientation or a number of other things. So support removal and post-processing, even if it's not support removal, um, to your point, I saw... A whole bunch of soles being printed mm-hmm. on a DLP machine, mm-hmm. and those soles had a little hook printed on the back of the sole, which would get clipped off later. But what that little hook did is allow them to be able to hang dozens of these things, yeah, and do their vapor smoothing process.
1: That's a that's a perfect example. They were vapor smoothing. What material were they printing in? I can't
0: remember. Interesting. They were doing some sort of smoothing. It came out with a rough finish.
1: Huh. One
0: of my favorite, I'm uh, pretty sure it was DLP,
1: but I've been wrong before. If it's shoe soles and it's in production, it probably was DLP. Um, probably a carbon machine. So one of my favorite presentations at AMUG this year included a whole topic about designing for inspection especially with metal parts where, you know, they're going to be inspected with CT. Um, Designing with the, designing in a way to keep the eventual cost to CT scan the part down uh, was eye-opening. Like imagine this is like designing a part to keep the cost of later machining it down or designing a part to keep the cost of support removal down or the cost of powder coating it or Mm -hmm. spraying or whatever to keep that, but inspecting it to keep that inspection cost down. And especially with CT, that inspection cost is actually a significant part of the whole part cost or another significant cost, uh, center in metal printing is heat treatment or hipping. So if you could design it in a way to keep that cost down even if it means making some compromise on the print side, maybe it's worth it because it's a holistic view of what's happening.
0: That's the approach you have to take with this. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best way to sum up this episode is (laughs) take a holistic approach. Yes. DFAM includes everything. The holiest of holistic approaches. (laughs) And as promised... The last segment of the day it's a brand new segment we've never done it before but we are gonna do it we've kind of done it well but now we're making it official it's an official segment okay which could change but i like i like it okay youtube pick of the day (laughs) youtube pick of the day sometimes 3d printed related sometimes not all right well are you gonna go first Well, let me lay out what it is. If it's not so (laughs) self-explanatory, I, I think we should give one or two. We both consume YouTube channels and we're always texting each other like, oh, dude, you got to watch this. Yeah. And why not? The things that we think are fun to share with each other, why not share them with everybody? I think that's a great idea. So tell us what you think. Should we do it at the end of the episode? Should we break up the middle of our discussions? Should we segment it out? What do you think? Um, uh,
1: let's poll the, pull the listeners. Okay. Because I
0: can't decide. Okay. As soon as we get our Instagram up and running, we're going to pull people.
1: Okay. Until then, we should just do it at the end.
0: And we're going to have to actually, this is going to be embarrassing, but we're, we're, when we get the Instagram up and going, we may have to give it a minute to build up. It's going to start at zero followers. Has to.
1: And then one, everyone starts at zero. This pod started at
0: zero and now it's non-zero. Yeah. We've got some listeners. <laughs> so uh, I guess as a course of action, we will be releasing whatever name we end up using. Hopefully it's go additive. Hopefully yeah. that's out there. I don't be a once. troll. Don't be a troll. If you hear this episode and it's not already taken, don't take that. <laughs> um, anyway. So. Uh, what's your pick? <sighs> Can I have two. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. I've got two today. One one is so much more interesting to me than the other. Uh, <laughs> however, I have to give respect to this guy. Um, the video that I watched was casting aluminum for the home from a simple 3D print. Obviously, that sucked
1: me in. Oh, I think I know the image, the thumbnail of this, because I haven't watched it, but it's like a shiny. It almost looks like a football tee.
0: This is an it looks like an octopus. Oh, this is different. Well, I'd show it to you, but that's okay. Looks like a little octopus. And. The channel is Brian Ultrog, and I'm going to spell that for you. Brian is just how you would expect it. Um, and his last name is O L T R O G G E. Whoa, Ultrog.
1: Okay, you're looking it up right. I am now. looking it up. This is the part. It looks like a football tee.
0: Does not. Sure, it does. Oh, on that. But if you just fast, the fast forward to like second number eight. Okay. Or three. Yeah, looks but like the, a little. He calls it a drunk octopus. The thumbnail looks like
1: a football tee.
0: Yes. Okay. And the football tee is what he actually produces in this episode. I predict
1: this is going to happen all the time where one of us will say, okay, I have a video. And you'll be like, I know what when you're talking about, but I haven't watched it yet.
0: Yeah. Oh, because I think we get fed the same stuff. And I, I, well, a little bit different. And I love that. I actually really like the algorithm that YouTube uses most of the time. It's, it's probably the best one of all my quote unquote social medias. It's the most smart. It works. In my opinion. <laughs> it works on me. It uh, that Yeah. And it it kind of gets me out outside of my comfort zone or outside of my yeah. normal watching habits. So why did you like this video? One, his production quality is good. He does a good job with production. Two, the part. Ultimately, the part that he produces is very, very good. And he takes all too much time to create one little thing that you could buy at target but that's kind of the fun yeah aspect of it yeah the fact that it's homemade i mean the guy wet sands this thing down to a polish um it's it's a fantastic part the fact that he used 3d printing obviously is a bonus and it's just a fun watch it's one of those ones you can you know cook dinner throw that on the TV if you've got a TV with inside of your kitchen and just kind of mindlessly watch it. Yeah. And it's satisfying. The next one, this one's so fun because it's more than one video, but the uh, account is called Veritasium. Oh yeah. I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm um, butchering.
1: It. it's probably I don't watch it enough right. to know
0: how it's said. This is this is a very popular channel. Very popular. Millions of subscribers. 6.1 million views on this one video that he just posted a a couple days ago. Yeah. So this video is the titles a physics professor bet me $10,000 that I'm wrong. And it's true. It's a true story. This physics professor puts up 10 grand of his own money. Signs a waiver on camera. They they both agree to a $10,000 bet. Yeah. And this whole video is them proving or attempting to prove each other wrong using math and science, experiments, etc. It is so awesome. Yeah. So satisfying. And the reason I got sucked into this is because I had watched the original video, which is um the the question is can you be propelled in a vehicle faster? Um a wind-powered vehicle faster than the wind yeah. itself. And they create, uh, a friend of his creates a model, a was life-size it, model. Was it 3D printed? There are probably, I I would be pretty confident guessing there's some 3D printed parts in there. But no, this one's not technically 3D printed related. This is just more science. And I freaking love it. So again, uh, Veritasium, I'm not going to spell that, Just you probably know well, it. just look up a physics professor bet me ten thousand dollars youtube it'll pop up. has
1: been trying to get me to watch this video since the day it was released i can't I,
0: believe you have and i haven't watched it but now that how did you get suckered into it ten grand who makes a ten thousand dollar bet that's not absolutely that's true wealthy that's true like very 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 wealthy gentleman it makes on me the feel golf bad course. for this professor they bet hundreds of dollars at a time yeah. even wealthy people ten not- grand that's, that's a lot for almost anybody
1: to write a check for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, we're talking NBA that, players, their fines are sometimes around that's, that amount. That's cutting in, into his They're retirement. usually more, but... <laughs> anyway, um, those are the, those are the two right. channels I that, that I wanted that now, to share.
1: Which means I respect your opinion more than YouTube algorithm. Thank you. Mine...
0: I'm just the guinea pig.
1: Mine I actually sent to you is Andrew Hwang, Huang, H-U-A-N-G. And he is a music producer. And he does these, he has like this recurring theme where it's three producers, one sample, or four, four, producers. Pro- four producers, one sample. And they take a, a music sample that's 20 to 30 seconds and then they all remix it into their own art. And it's amazing. It's so fun. It's so amazing. It's fun. It's so impressive. And I kind of feel for them because we've talked about how hard it is for us to learn all of these different pieces of software.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And to use them effectively. And these audio producers have the exact same problem, maybe even worse, where they're using a bunch of different paid software, a bunch of different paid plugins, a bunch of different free stuff. And they are just experimenting to the end of they run out of time in conjunction with varying hardware. Yes. Varying hardware. And this is another part of what I like about it is that they all listen to it together and they are always just jiving with whatever someone else made. They love it. They love it.
0: Super positive. Exactly. No one wins. No one wins. It's just, you can decide for yourself, but yeah, it's called Four Producers Flip the Same Sample.
1: Yeah. And, and that's a whole series. There's a ton of different videos. Andrew Hoing. And um, it's just I love it. I actually do like that now that you mention it, it's not a competition. And cause art it shouldn't be a competition.
0: Yeah. And everything that I've heard so far, some of the songs I've I've gone and found on Spotify. Yeah, I listened to me too. To them. Me too. I'm like, These are rad. And some of them are like not really your style.
1: But you still respect because they go through and they show you the picks and clicks and how they made it. Not the the, the videos are like twenty minutes usually, so it's a few minutes at each person.
0: Yeah. So bringing that back to three D printing, the analogy that you're kind of making, yeah, it each of these artists have their music has a fingerprint on it. Yeah, their fingerprint is all over. And you'll see them, oh, yeah, this sounds like so-and-so. Oh, yeah, that definitely sounds, I know whose sample yeah. this is. They know, they 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 have this fingerprint, and we do the same thing with 3D printing. Like, everyone has their mixture of hardware and software yep. and workflows, et cetera, and there are many ways to produce a good part. That's and true. Everybody has their style. Um, be open, continue to That's change true. it. That's true. Uh, that's something to be aware of because we're combining multiple hardwares and software all the time.
1: And they tend to reuse sounds and whatnot that they've learned to like. And, and we do the same thing. We tend to reuse features and whatnot. And especially because 3d printing is so intuitive, we do develop our own ways to capture nuts or create threads or whatever. And we tend to reuse those. And on some level you could walk into the lab and you could probably guess like who created some of these parts just based on the little quirky things that are done by each one so there is yeah there's some crossover there but i like i like this session it probably we won't always have crossover to 3d printing but i think i'll usually try to
0: yeah we're, we're gonna keep this segment around the youtube pick of the day pick of the day <laughs>
1: all right is that it we that's good? all
0: for today we introduced a new a new uh segment and um I think we'll make that a regular thing.
1: All right, cool. We will talk for sure next week. No two weeks in between shows unless someone's dying, and then we will find a replacement for that person within one week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. (laughs) All
1: right. Sounds good. Take care. See ya.